So we have sins that we struggle with. And they come back, and as a church, we want to find out how to combat these sins. Why? Because sin robs us of joy. So this is a series that is fighting, warring for your joy. That's what this series is all about. We want your future to be better than your past. And we want it to be better in Christ. Because everything else is just an idol. It's just a sub, poor substitute. So what we said was on, uh, in the first week, we said we tried, to, we tried to sort of wrap everything around. I said, okay, this is going to really inform us throughout the, the um, series. And so we said that if we're going to fight our sins, if we're going to come against our sins, we're going to need to do three things. Three things that need to be in our mind, right? We need to think out. We need to dig down. And we need to look up, all right? Can we do those uh, hand gestures together? All right, class, let's do it together, okay? We need to think out. We need to dig down. And then we need to look up, right? Because we need to think out the repercussions of our sin. I know that Satan says just one, but he doesn't tell you what happens after the 31st one. And so we need to think out where this is going to lead. Play the whole tape. When the last time you acted out on this sin, what happened? Think it out. This goes somewhere. And we don't have to pretend like we don't know. Then we have to dig down. Digging down is so important because we need to get to the sin beneath the sin. Most of our lives when we fight sin is spent fighting the fruit of our sin. In other words, what we're acting out out here. Oh, Edwin, you broke the dirty picture rule. You looked at a dirty picture. Oh, Edwin, you overate. You, gro- you broke the gluttony rule. Bad, Edwin. No, 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 no. Those are the outward expressions of our sin, but they have an inward or the, uh, a deeper. That's why we're gonna, we needed to dig deep. They have a deeper idol that is leading us to those sins. And we talked about that. You're welcome to listen to it online. Then thirdly, not only do we need to uh, uh, think out and dig down, and, but we also need to look, uh, look up, look up. And that we need to find our satisfaction in Jesus because it's not enough. Nancy Reagan taught us that it's not enough just to say no. And we're going to get to that. So um, the week one, we said we need to avoid. Somebody say avoid with me. Avoid. We need to avoid our sin like the plague. Here's the best way to not fall into sin. Avoid the triggers and the pitfalls that lead you to that sin. It's real easy. I'm a married guy, right? If I hang out with a lot of single guys, is that a sin? Anybody answer? Is that a sin? Is it a sin? No, it's not. Single guys, single guys, you're my friends. I love you guys. You're not sinful. Sure. Sure. I know, I know. Right, yeah, I love you single guys, but hanging out with you is not in the best interest of my heart, especially sinful single guys, right? <laughs> Which is, I feel like I'm saying the same thing, sinful single guys, right? And it's like, it's redundant. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm shocked you didn't think that was funny. Um, so, so what happens is, is that that might not be good for me. Why? Because they might talk about stuff, they might be involved in stuff, that's not conducive to me being married, right? 
And so what do I do? I avoid. I avoid those situations that might bring me to a place. And for some of you, that would mean killing your Facebook page. Because it leads you somewhere. Whether it's gossip, or jealousy, or bitterness, or lust. I don't know. I'm just saying. First step, if we're going to come up with a strategy of fighting, and these are all biblical, is avoid. You can find out more about that. Then we found out our, can everybody see this? Right? We said, we said we're going to give a hearty and strong no. Everybody say that with me. No. That when the temptation comes, that when the desire comes, kicks up for us to act out, that we're going to say no. No. And, and watch this. Here's the thing. You got five seconds. You got five seconds before that thing starts to take hold of your heart. You, it needs to be a reflexive no. You know what it needs to be? It needs to be like, who, who here is afraid of mice? Anybody here is afraid of mice? Okay, good. Because right behind here, I have. No, could you imagine? Right? Yeah, no, no. But if I, if I took a mouse and I threw it at you, you know how you would just like, you would like, ah, you know, like you would freak out? That's how reflexive our no needs to be. But here's the problem, right? So we avoid sin. We do our best to avoid sin, but then sometimes sin comes running after us. Isn't that true? And it's not because, right, some of us have set us up that way, right? Like, you know, we, we cop from this guy for so long, every time he sees us, yo, if you want to come back, come on back. Right? And so, and then so, we, so we, we can't avoid him, so we say our no. But here's the problem with no's. No's don't last forever. No matter how, and, th- and if we stop there, we'll find ourselves, we'll find ourselves eventually saying yes. I got like 999 no's with any given sin. I got in me, I got 999. It's the thousandth time that I get tempted that hurts me so bad. Do you see what I'm saying? Like you might be strong, you might be fortified in your faith, you might be, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we can't say no forever. Again, Nancy taught us that just saying no is not enough. So the first one, the first strategy, in our, as we, remember, as we're thinking about this, the first step in our strategy is to avoid, right? And then the second step in our strategy is to what? Anybody know? Anybody know? I'm giving you the answer. Say it loud. Say no. Say no, right, nice and loud. No, right. And then the third, and here it is, folks. It's to turn. Turn from that thing. Now, you already know how to turn from something. From, uh, you already know how to turn away from something when something better is uh, at hand. We used to, it, it actually had a negative context when I was growing up. There was this kid. I'm thinking of this kid right now, and I'm not going to tell you his name um, because he did come to Christ. Um, but he was, a, he was, a, he was what, what you call in the hood a flat lever. Anybody ever had a flat lever as a friend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you ever had a flat lever, right? Yeah, you know, that's the, that's the girl. And women, like, from what I can tell, y'all have experienced this a lot, especially when one of your girlfriends finds a boyfriend. It's like, oh, flat lever. And it's like this whole thing, right? And so, so what happens, right? A flat lever is a person who is, is hanging out with you, let's say, and then something better comes along. Something better comes along. 
a better opportunity, more fun, whatever it is, and then they, without a whole lot of uh, guilt, they leave you and they attach to that. I want us to be flat leavers. That's what it means to turn, that we're going to be flat leavers, that we have this thing that we really love, this thing that we always run back to, this thing that tugs on our hearts. We have it. It's there. We love it. It's coming out of us. And then, no, 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 no. We're not just going to avoid it. We try to avoid it. We're not just going to say no. We said our no, but it keeps on coming back. Oh, no, no, no. Now we're going we're to turn. We're going to be a flat lever. Because everybody knows that the only way you can get rid of, you can, the only way you can get rid of an affection for something that you love is by having a new affection. If you've been in our church, you know that I've taught you this year after year. And you know this as a kid. And I'll give you the same illustration that I've given you a thousand times. It's such a good illustration, though, because I think we connect with it. It's the, remember when you were, when you broke up with that kid when you were 17 or 18, right? And, and, and you broke up with ladies, you broke up with that kid, and, and it was like, oh, it was heartbreaking, and you're, you know, right, depending on your age, you're listening to Luther, or you're listening to, you know, oh, whatever, right? And so you're listening, and it's like, oh, you're crying, your world is over, and then what happens? What happens? One of your girlfriends comes over, one of your girlfriends comes over and says, girl, get on your dress and put on your dancing shoes. We're going to find you a man. And then what happens? You go, you find someone else, and all of a sudden, because now you found that someone else, all of a sudden, the old one that you had an affection for, it's not like you even taught yourself. You didn't tell yourself, oh, I'm going to get rid of that affection. I'm going to get rid of that affection. No, just naturally, by your affection growing with this person, your affection died for that person. Does this make sense? Well, you, your friends knew at 16, 17, and 18, they knew a biblical principle of giving your heart and giving your mind over to something will kill your affection for the other thing. Does that make sense? So now we're going to look at that. In God knows that we uh, need this. And so, and how we're going to figure out how to turn is by looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We looked at this a little bit in the beginning of the series when we set it up, but basically this entire series really is just going through Colossians 1 through 3, 1 through 11. And so we're going to look at, we're going to focus on 1 through 4. And one of our, uh, by the way, guys, one of our traditions in this church when we read God's word is that we stand at the reading of God's word. And the reason that we do that, the reason that we stand at the reading of God's word is because we want to, we want to um, remind our bodies. We want to remind our bodies. This is God's word. This is something we need to listen to. This is something we need to hear. Okay. So on a count of three, all of us, if you have your Bible, you can um, read from there. But uh, if you uh, like, we're all reading from the NIV, uh, the 2011 NIV. So um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And by the way, if you're here and you're new, we've thought of you. The reason that we have the screen the way we do and the reason that we meet the way we do is because we want to make this a welcoming place for you if you're new. So we're grateful that you're here. And even if you don't buy into the stuff that I'm saying right now, I think this will be helpful for all of us. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 together. On the count of three. One, two, three. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So what are we to turn to? Well, it tells us here that we have that we need to be focusing on what Christ has done in our past, what Christ is doing in our present, and what Christ will do in our future. Look at what it says, our past. So when sin comes our way, we're avoiding, we're saying no, but then we're also turning to Jesus. So it says this, the, the scriptures say this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Okay, the reason that you're not jumping up and going, hallelujah, is because you don't deeply understand what, what's happening here. You have been raised. You don't have to wait to be raised with Christ. You have been. When Jesus rose, you rose. His victory is your victory. When he conquered sin and death, you have been given the gift of conquering sin and death. Since you have been, Jesus has killed you. Listen to me. This is so important because Jesus died for your sin. That means if you would have come to God and would have been punished for your sin and endured the agony and the torture of the cross for your sin and then got off and, and said, God said, okay, now that you paid for your sin, come into my presence. That's exactly what's happened. So Jesus took on your sin and he died. That means you are dead to sin. Do you understand how powerful that is? Okay, great. I'm glad you said that. And I didn't say this at the beginning. Guys, if I say something that you don't understand, or if you have a question, just raise your hand, and, and we'll talk. We'll, we'll do it that way. Is that okay? It'll be a little interactive. I forgot. Go ahead. Oh, how fast was that? That's awesome. Go. It's, 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 it's in everywhere you think about? It's inevitable to think about it. Right. See, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about in this process. That there are sins that are a thousand times a day. come, And, and a thousand times a day, we're going to avoid. We're going to say no. And now we're learning about turning. So this is about those sins. That's why we called it besetting sins, because they are the ones that keep on coming back. So this is a strategy to fight and continue fighting. And so I love that question. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so, okay. All right. So now, this is, this is so powerful that you've died with Christ. Because if you died with Christ, then you need to remind yourself that sin no longer has a hold on you. Okay. Have you ever been to a, say, funeral? Have you ever been to a funeral? Okay. Have you ever been... Now, this, just use your imagination. Imagine going to a funeral of an addict, 
right? A person who died using drugs. And let's say their choice of drug was alcohol. They drank themselves to death, okay? Now, if you, I've gone to uh, funerals where people actually are putting alcohol or, or things like that. Has anybody here ever been to like a funeral like that? Well, yeah, 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 it's a few of us. Well, they'll put like alcohol or beer. It's just insane, right? And it's like, but here's something I've, I've noticed. When this cat was alive, if he had four beers in the refrigerator, he drank four beers. If he had 40 beers in the refrigerator, he drank 40 beers. But here's what I've noticed in the casket. He has beer and alcohol right next to him. And you know what? He hasn't reached out to one of them. <laughs> and this is a cat who couldn't stop drinking. But he hasn't reached out to any of them. And that puzzles me because we've been here for three hours. And he could never not drink that beer. What happened? Anybody know? He died. You died in Christ. You're dead. Why are you allowing your mind to believe that you have to go back to? No, you're dead. You can't tempt a dead person. I've died. See, that's our past. We got to be reminded of that. We can't just say no. We got to be reminded of what Christ has done in and through our lives. And one of the things that he's done is he's died for us. You have died. But not only died, you've been risen. You're a new creation. You no longer, you no longer have to live according to the desires of your sinful nature. You got to remember that. If we're going to turn, we got we to fill our minds. Now watch this. With what I'm telling you, you have to fill your mind when it's not that strong a temptation. This is something, what I'm telling you to do now is a practice you got to start practicing now. As the, as the thoughts come in a thousand times. I'm dead. You're dead in Christ and you've come alive. But you've come alive to new and wonderful and beautiful things. What have you come alive to? Okay, so the past, right? So the past... We're dead to the past. What about the present? Look in verse 3. In verse 3, set your minds. Since you're dead, set your minds on things above. Let's just pause there. Set your minds on things above. Since you're dead. Right? Now, this is super duper important. The problem is, is that in our culture, whenever we try to be, um, set our minds on things above, it actually has a negative consequence. I mean, it actually has like a negative, like in our culture, we don't, we don't approve of that. We go, we go say, um, you know, we give a compliment when we say, that person seems down to earth. We even have a saying in Christian, or actually in, in the world, we have a, you know, that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, as if to be more heavenly minded makes you less practical, effective, joyful. These are lies. Paul would say, you can't be so heavenly minded that you're, in fact, to the degree that you can be any earthly good is to the degree that you are heavenly minded. 
And so he says, and, and so in us, we have this thing, like it's possible to be too on fire for Christ. And I agree that it is, on, it is possible to be religious. And, and, and what I mean by that is it's possible to be so enamored with rules that you miss Jesus. That's not what we preach here. We preach Christ and him crucified. And he, here's what I know about every one of you. You're a mess. And here's what you can know about me. Here's what you can know about me. I'm a mess. I so desperately need Jesus. And pretending that I'm at a maturity that I'm not is not helpful. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm a mess. And you're a mess. Can we help each other? Can we love each other? Can we serve each other? As a, yeah. If that's true, we need to set our minds on things above. Now, what does it mean to set your minds on things above? That means that in whatever circumstance you go to the gospel, and not only have you avoided, right? We, remember we talked about it? We've avoided. We've avoided as much as we can. And then, remember what else? We said, oh my gosh, no, right, right. We said our no, but now we want to bring our minds. So you, we bring to bear the gospel on whatever issue we're struggling with. Let's take some examples what it means to set our minds on things above. Say, for instance, you're having a tough time in your marriage. Can we say that? Some of us are having a tough time in our marriage. What do we do? Well, we're having a tough time in our marriage, and, and by the way, if you're in a marriage that it's like physically abusive or there's, you know, if it's, it's real serious like that, I, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. But let's just say you have the run-of-the-mill you know, I don't understand her. She doesn't understand me. She called me this curse word. I called him that curse word, that kind of thing, right? So our marriage is not good. What does it mean? Well, if you're in the world, what you do is you go to work, you find somebody else who gives you the attention and the affection that your spouse is not giving you, and then you leave your spouse to be with this person, Right? Now, I don't know if you know how that ends, but it never ends well, right? Because you know what happens? When he has the terrible wife and he leaves her to, to be with you and then you become his wife, you have to ask yourself this. Well, if I'm now the new wife, who's the coworker? Right? It's just like a natural question. In other words, the trust, it started on distrust. Okay, but let's say you're having a terrible marriage and you don't want to go the way of the world and you don't want to go the, the way of secular thinking. You go, I'm having a terrible marriage. I, you can go, wait. And sometimes with tears, God, here's the truth. I want a good marriage, but there's stuff that I'm doing, there's stuff that they're doing that's just making it impossible to have a good marriage. Lord, would you remind me of the marriage supper of the Lamb where, where the church is married to Christ, you and me. We're married to Christ, and now we got the best spouse in the history of the world. And Lord, could you remind me of how Jesus, what, the things that I'm looking for in my husband, how Jesus gives that to me. The things that I'm looking for in my wife, how Jesus gives that to me. Right? So, my husband doesn't want to spend any time with me, some of you women might say. And you go, wait, there's one who's calling us to himself to spend time with him. Do you see how that's a turn? Yeah. 
I'm not thinking of what I've lost. I'm thinking of what I've gained. Okay, what if you're a single person? What if you're a single person? You go, you're walking down that same block. You're a single person. You go, Jesus, I hate being single. I just feel like it, this is a beautiful call that you have on people's life, and I would love for you to fulfill that call in my life by bringing me a godly husband, a godly wife. I want to have a godly family. I want to go through the struggles that I hear other people stress about, but I want to go through them with you, Jesus. I feel so lonely and alone, and he's single. And then you go, wait, I'm reminded that Jesus lived an unbelievably fruitful, unbelievably, the most fruitful, beautiful, powerful, loving, in relationship and fellowship kind of life that has ever been lived as a single. He was never married, never had kids. And that, is it possible that he could be enough of a lover of your soul that he, he leads you to a church where now you have groups of people who show you the love and the affection of Christ in appropriate touch with hugs and kisses on the cheek and, you know, and just going, oh, man, you know, a pat on the back when you need it. You see, we have that in the gospel because we're turning. Somebody say turn. Turn. We are turning from the things that we think we have to have in order to be happy that are sin and that destroy us to the one who brings us joy and satisfaction. So in our past, he's done a work in us that frees us from sin. In our present, he reminds us, the gospel does, that he is better than our sin in the future. Listen to what he says here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen. Sometimes it's just a fight. Sometimes it's just a fight. And, and you just got to go, okay, okay. This is like, especially to my brothers and sisters who are struggling with uh, medical issues. Sometimes the gift is, all the time for the Christian, the gift is that Jesus is with you. But so you know, and, and, and as a church, this is what we believe about miracles. Everybody who's a Christian Everybody who knows and loves Jesus, when it comes to sickness, everyone gets healed. Now listen to me. Some people get healed on this side of eternity, and some people get healed on the other side of eternity. Do you understand? Some people get healed here on earth, and some people get healed when Christ comes again, and they get their new body in the new heavens and the new earth. But for Christians, every one of them get their miracle cure. But now, beloved, you're sitting in your cancer now. You're sitting in your HIV status now. You're sitting in your illness now. And you're wondering, am I ever going to get better? And it feels like everybody's telling you no. You can go, wait, there's a future. There's a, there's, I'm going to Get a new body in the new heaven. So I don't have to move to despair or depression. I don't have to move to despondency, that, that sin that tugs at me so that I can go to it. No, 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 no. I can turn. Somebody say turn. turn. I can turn and be reminded that in Christ I get a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. And that I will, I love that verse in, in the hymn, I will pirouette on my grave. 
So, what does this mean for us? Okay, beloved, this week, as you go on, I want you to say, let's say this together. Turn. Turn. We're going to turn. We're not just going to avoid. We're not just going to say no. We're now going to start to turn. Turn. Say it with me. Turn. We're going to turn from our sin, and we're going to turn to the joy, the beauty, the truth that's found in God's word. Now, if you have no practice in that, there's two things that I need you to do. This week, I need you to start opening up your Bible and reading it. Third, secondly, I need you to start getting on. We have a prayer meeting, and we have prayer meetings and Bible studies. Prayer meetings and Bible studies that happen every single day of the week. Every single day of the week, we have a prayer or a Bible study. We have nine prayer meetings. And in every one of those prayer meetings, we are um, meditating on Scripture. Okay, so here we go. Thank you so much. So, right here. Um, Monday through Friday mornings, you can pray with me. Um, uh, Monday through Friday mornings, you can pray with me uh, on Zoom, or we also do it on Facebook. Okay? Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, that means every weekday except Thursday. Every, somebody say, every weekday except Thursday. Every weekday except Thursday. You also have a prayer meeting with me from 6 to 6.30. You go, what's the key? What's the deal about Thursdays? Well, Thursdays, we have a woman's call that is 425-436-6345 with the password 461672 for those of you who are listening to us on audio. Um, we have a woman's call that Betsy teaches and, um, or Betsy leads, yes? Yes. And, um, and that happens on Thursdays at 6 to 7? And it's a Bible study on the book of Ruth. Right, why? Because you need help turning, guys. We need help turning. And you're not going to get it from just wishing it well. You need to expose yourself to the scriptures. We're in a war. And you need to get prepped. Okay, so there's Betsy's Bible study on Thursdays. Okay, uh, another one is Warriors, Soldiers, and Men. Can you get a more masculine name for a men's meeting by, put the picture up, by a more masculine-looking Puerto Rican guy than this guy. I mean, it is the most masculine thing you can do. It's the guyest thing you can do. It's the most dudest thing you can do is going on this Bible study. Go back to the other one. Okay, so there's a, that Bible study, and I want to say, like over 60 guys are on this thing. It's like, I mean, it's like an ocean of guys. But this one is not just a phone call. This one is a Zoom meeting, and it's a, oh man, it has the Zoom ID. Does it have a password? No. Okay. So the Zoom ID is 378-195-881. That's on Thursdays. If you want to go to either one of my uh, prayer meeting, um, the Zoom ID is 490-982-431, and the password is 994239. On Saturday, we teach a precursor to what I'm going to teach here, but I don't use the same material. It's, it's stuff that uh, won't make it to the sermon because you have to study a bunch of scriptures and you can never say everything that you want to say. It's all good, but you can't say it all or you'd be here for three hours. And so on Saturday, I get to uh, uh, relieve myself of the pressure of feeling like I have to speak about everything here on Sunday. And I do that on Saturday. That's on Facebook at Saturday, 6 p.m. And that Zoom ID is also 490-982-431. And the password is 994239. On Sundays, we have a, a Moms in Prayer at 7 p.m. The Zoom ID is 664-515-2516, password 319794. Why did I just take all that time to tell you? Because turning 
Turning involves a process. Turning involves, you, we need help to turn. We've been, listen to me, we've been stuck focusing, having our shoulders and our chest facing our sin for so long. And we've been going, no, avoid. No, for too long. We've got we to turn. Jesus, you're so much better. You're so much more of a delight. Go, sis. We can get this. In. Thank you very much for asking. Now that you said that, we can go to our website, www.rhowbk.org, to get all of this information and get hooked up. You can literally just go on the, the website, www.rhowbk.org. So now, could you imagine what's going to happen this week? What's going to happen this week? This week, you're going to be walking down the street, and that thought is going to come. You know the thought that always comes? You know that one, right? That thought is going to come, and you're going to go, oh, no, no, no. I am not a slave to my appetites. I'm not a slave to my desires. I'm a slave to Christ. I've been, I've been, I, I am dead in Christ. You are tempting a dead person. And then you're going to go, oh, no, Jesus, whatever that haagen might taste like, you say, taste and see that the Lord is good, and I am going to delight in Jesus. And then, and then you're going to go into the future. I can't wait till I can eat like whatever I want in the new heavens and the new earth and not have to worry about chichos or whatever else, right? For all my Puerto Rican brothers and sisters. Okay, so what would life be like? 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 What would life be like if in Christ you started to avoid your sin, say no as soon as it comes up, and start to turn from your sin. Here's what you'll happen. Here's what'll happen. You'll have a lot more time on your hands. You know how much time and energy you spend on sin? It's insane. You'll learn. You could learn French with all the time that you spend on your sin. Okay? Watch this. You'll have more time on your hands. You know what? You'll have a lot more peace too. You know what else? You know the depression that you struggle with all the time? It'll be less frequent. You know what else? You'll start experiencing the joy of the Lord like never before, even when it's really a tough season. Now we said three minutes at the end of this. My prayer is that Jesus would give you wisdom to know what to do with what you just heard. So we're going to take three minutes. Can I get a clock timer? Get back into your seat. Now, Put Colossians. Mama, can we put Colossians up? She's my wife. I can call her Mama. Okay. Um, this is whatever the Lord jumps out at you. I, I, I would encourage some of you. This is, what, you know what the Lord wants to do for you? He wants you to memorize this. He wants you to memorize this. And just be reminded, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, since you have been raised with Christ, I'm going to set my heart. On things about, I'm not going to set my heart on this other junk. I'm going to set my heart on Jesus. 